Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, and this will be the basis of our time of learning today. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's uh, intentional that this week's scripture reading and message uh, follows last week's message in scripture reading where we talked in that message about how they had, they had a unity of spirit in the church in Jerusalem, how they inspired awe among the people who observed them because it was clear that the Lord was there and with them. And they were doing things that were uncharacteristic of people in that place and time. And they were as well uh, just awestruck by the, the authority with which they preached the word and the authenticity of their prayers and their behaviors. And so it seemed as though the church was perfect, didn't it? And then we go to this story to find out that even in a church led by the apostles, conflict arose. And that's what we're going to talk about today is conflict in the body of Christ because conflict is inevitable. This story is here to tell us that. It is the first evidence of conflict that we read in the New Testament church. But it won't be the last. As you read through the various letters to the churches in the remainder of the New Testament, you see that conflict is inevitable and the apostles, as they begin to move away from the center of these various churches that they've established, they have to write back and remind people of certain things. And their reminders become for all of us an ageless reminder in the form of Holy Scripture. So one of the things that I would argue based on this story and other, uh, other elements of the Bible is that whenever you have a movement, which is what this Jesus movement was in Jerusalem at the start, Inevitably, the movement will develop organization. And then organization inevitably leads to corruption. And by this, I mean rust, decay, 
I don't want you to jump immediately to criminal type corruption. I'm saying that in every organization, you will naturally develop structure and the structure will naturally decay because of certain elements that are always present. Uh, people who make things out of steel will tell you that steel will last forever if there's no moisture. <laughs> but we can't avoid humidity and moisture, so steel rusts. And left untreated, rusted steel eventually will corrupt so badly that it falls apart. So when you drive across one of those old rusty bridges, you have to ask yourself how long it's been here and how long has it been untreated for rust? And it's this way that we are talking about the corruption that naturally occurs when movements turn into organizations and organizations turn into, um, well, churches, let's say. What happened here was that the apostles were causing people to be gathered around them in the name of Jesus. They were preaching the word. The people were being transformed by the power of the word and the Holy Spirit. They were becoming the body of Christ and the first church there at Jerusalem. And one of the things that happened was they started sharing what they had with one another because there was need. So obviously meeting the needs of those who were less fortunate or those who were without became an essential part of the life of the church. So we can pretty much gather that this was a high priority for Christians led by the apostles, that we would care for those, especially in our family, our body of Christ, who were needy. But in the caring for the needy, corruption emerges. Again, think rust. There's, corrupt, there's corruption in the form of needy people who perhaps aren't doing all that they can to provide for themselves, and yet there's also corruption in the case in this story because certain people were being overlooked through no fault of their own. So let me unpack the story for a minute. You notice that they were Hellenists. Now, uh, I heard someone read it from their Bible this morning where it said the Greek-speaking Jews. That's a better way to interpret this. Hellenists were, that was a nickname that was given to people who were Jewish but who spoke Greek as their primary language. In those days, Greek language was the universal language in much the same way that English, as American English, is the universal language now. And so English now is a universal language, and I don't know about you, but I'm always at a disadvantage in many parts of the world, even in this community, because I only know one language. And I have friends that have become very precious to me, even in this community, who have me at a disadvantage because they can speak more than one language. So naturally, they think differently about me because of my capacity to speak one language alone. So if you can imagine then that the church in Jerusalem is made up of people who are native Jews and native, native Jerusalemites, right? These are people who have lived there all their lives and those people generally spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And these languages were very natural to them, but they were not universal languages. And uh, the people who were called Hellenists were spoke uh, Greek as their primary language. And so there was a conflict 
not in the sense of, of fighting, but because of a, diver, a divergence. Um, can I be honest for a minute and ask you to be honest for a minute? Have you ever seen one of those funny uh, uh, episodes of a show or a scene in a movie where a person uh, who speaks English, let's say, is talking to someone who speaks Spanish and they keep raising their voice while they speak English and speaking more slowly because they think if they do that, this person who speaks the foreign language will somehow be able to understand them, right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to talk to somebody who doesn't speak your language and you think maybe if you just raise your voice, they'll understand you? It doesn't work. I remember when I was in Israel one, one time, I don't remember which trip it was now, but I was in Israel, I think it might have been with Bethany when we were uh, at uh, Bet Shean, and I went in a door that had a sign on it, very clear, beautiful, bright white sign with green lettering, but it was Hebrew lettering. And there was a person who must have been a native person who understood exactly what that sign said, who got very cross with me because I apparently went in an out door. I went in through a door that had a sign in a language I didn't understand that said plainly, exit only. And this person was pretty put out with me and my guess is, is he was muttering something along the lines of you idiot in his native language, but I didn't understand even to the point that I was insulted. And the point is, is that we, we sometimes find ourselves looking down on people who don't understand us as if it's their problem. Or we tend to look down on people that we don't understand as if it's their problem. But what we're really having, as uh, was said in Cool Hand Luke, is a failure to communicate, right? George, I can always count on you to get those references. Thank you so much. His name was Struther Martin, right? That was the actor. What we have here is a failure to communicate. And this is exactly what separates the people who are called Hellenists from the native Jews in Jerusalem, is a failure to communicate. And this, in this particular case, wasn't in any way hostile, but it led to a problem because the widows who only spoke Greek were being neglected. And it may simply be because they weren't able to communicate their need. It might have been because of prejudice, because the people who were native to the community had a tendency to think that these were outsiders and foreigners, and if they wanted to live here, they ought to learn the language. But the apostles were given the problem, and they came up with a solution that pleased everybody. Now, here's what's interesting. I want you to really observe how this happened. Hellenist Jews, who are now Christians, went to the apostles and said, some of our widows are complaining that they're not getting fed, and this doesn't seem right. And the apostles said, well, look, we're going to take this and give it some serious consideration. And after prayer and consideration, we're going to give you a recommendation, and then you have to decide what to do about it. Okay, you hear that? They said, we've decided, number one, that we really shouldn't wait on tables because our calling is a different calling. We're called to preach the word and to pray and to lead the body into the fulfillment of Christ's command to take his good story 
to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. And so they called the whole body together. The apostles called the whole body together and they said, okay, everybody listen up. We've heard about this problem. Here's what we're recommending to you. We recommend you find seven among you with a good reputation who are wise and filled with the Holy Spirit. And you put them in charge of food distribution. And the people were pleased with the recommendation and they acted upon it. Did you hear that? And the apostles said, now we're going back to preaching and prayer. Okay? So that's the way the story played out. But let's, let's flesh it out a little bit more. Uh, many people in many religious traditions today use this passage as the structure of their tradition and the way that they organize church. This is among the stories that are cited as justification for deacons and elders and so forth. Well, I don't want to teach about that. What I want to teach about today is based on the journey we've been traveling since last Easter when we were talking about this whole wilderness experience that COVID-19 has given us and how we as the people of God at Shiloh can use this wilderness opportunity to be strengthened in our faith and become more like the body of Christ that we were called to be and that we could leave behind our old Egyptian worldly ways and enter into a promised land where we might learn to do church a little bit more like Acts of the Apostles describes it. The reality is, is we're all over the spectrum and it's an individual and a corporate problem to resolve and so we're just more in this case hungry for food for our souls and seeing where it takes us and so when we look at this story We'd like to say that at our church, our pastor focuses strictly on prayer and preaching. And we, the lay people of the church, and laity in this case is just a word the church people use to describe the people who aren't professional credentialed clergy. Truth is, is there isn't much that separates us except for some education that I have and some experience I have. Otherwise, you have a, call, a calling too, just like I do. You know, all of us have a calling as members of the body of Christ. But what this, what this story is telling us is, is that in a perfect world, the religious leaders would concentrate on prayer and teaching and preaching, and there would be others who would concentrate on the practical needs of the community. I hope that happens here because what really happens in church is people in the leadership will say, you know, we could get more done if the pastor had quit messing with stuff, it's not his job. <laughs> and the pastors are going, I could get more done if people would do these jobs because the perfect community doesn't exist. And that's the point, that we all have to be adaptive and open to apostolic leadership for us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this story is a very practical one for us because it's a story that tells us that conflict is inevitable in the life of the church, but conflict isn't always a bad thing. That conflict is a natural expression of 
bringing many people together and trying to get them all moving in the same direction for a common goal, what we would call a vision. So how did the apostles show us a better way and how did the church in Jerusalem show us a better way? Basically, by sharing the burden. They called together everybody and they said, here's what's going on. Can I be honest with you? Our church, like most Christian churches in this country, is organized and operated around a one or two doing everything while many watch. That's the design that we follow. No one else is talking right now, just me. When we do leadership, it's a very small group of people who are acting for the good of many. And Courtney is leading the musical worship and so forth. It is one or two people leading worship while others watch. What this picture clearly shows us is that we are all responsible for the life of the church, the body of Christ. We are all responsible. And this gathering of people is an expression of the body of Christ who happens to meet in a place we call Shiloh. And more specifically, this gathering meets in part of Shiloh's building called the Life Center. But you are the body of Christ and you share the burden with me and Courtney and the others who lead worship for the fulfillment of Christ's commission, which is to be his bride, the church, and to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ right here in our region, even in places we don't want to go, and across the world. It's not a message of evangelization as much as it is a message that is lived out in you. It's an expression of Christ in you because when you are born again and you have received Christ's gift of salvation, you are a member of his body. And by that we mean like digits, fingers, arms, legs, you know, you're part of his body. You are Christ to the world. We say that in our communion liturgy, don't we? We say, Lord, let us be bread to the world, the body of Christ to the world, meaning that when one of us, any of us, not just our pastor, encounters the people outside of our fellowship, they have encountered Christ in some form or another. That's the goal. It's a lofty goal. Now, Back to the conflict for just a minute. If conflict is inevitable in any organized group of people, then how do we keep it from tearing us apart? How many times have I said in my explanation of good versus evil that the easiest way to recognize where Satan is at work is where the chaos is, there is Satan. Where the cosmos or the order is, there's where you see the Lord. Because the Lord Jesus brings order in the chaos. And Satan loves the chaos. So when we have conflict that leads to chaos, 
we've got to invoke the power of the Lord. We've got to call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to bring order where there's chaos. This will take courage and it will take resolution. It'll take a, a, a commitment to cosmos or order. When we read this story, we recognize that that's what happened. There was beginning to be some discomfort and conflict. And at the moment when some leaders among the Hellenists recognized the problem, they went to the apostles and the apostles responded with compassion and wisdom, with the spirit that dwelt in them. So it starts from the top down. A spirit-led community of faith has to be headed by people who listen to the voice of God and who listen. You know there's a difference between listening and hearing, don't you? We had marriage night last night. I'm sure that came up. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Listening says, I hear you. And this is what I heard you say. I can imagine one of the apostles fielding this comment from this Hellenist leader, probably a guy, saying something like, okay, so if I hear you correctly, what you're telling me is, is that there are widows among the Greek-speaking Jews who are now Christians who have been neglected in the food distribution probably because they're not being understood and so their need isn't recognized and maybe because sometimes those who do the food distribution are treating them differently because they have a natural tendency towards prejudice that the spirit hasn't helped them overcome yet. And the Hellenist says, yeah, that's about right. Paul, Peter, no, not Paul, Dan, come on, seriously. Any, I could have named any of the apostles and I named the one that wasn't there yet. So anyway, they see this, this story unfolding in front of them and they listen. And then they take it to God. And then they recommend that the same sort of leadership be applied to those who will see to the food distribution. Wisdom, patience, love and compassion, listening. And for that reason, the problem was resolved. And this statement at the end of this passage we read is really remarkable to me because it seems a little out of place. But what it has done is taken us all the way back to where we were last Sunday. Because it says they got it worked out and everybody was living in harmony once again. And awe was the order of the day. People were awestruck by how different these people were because the Spirit of God was in them. And they were awestruck, so awestruck, it says, that even priests of the temple were becoming Christians. Think about that for a minute. This one line that seems out of place in this story is placed at the very end, and it says not only did they solve the problem that might have led to breaking down of the organization and the first church split recorded in the Bible. It could have led to all of that, but instead what happened was spirit-filled, compassionate, Christ-like leaders brought the whole body into responsibility for the problem and together they resolved the problem and they maintained the spirit of Christ in their 
family of faith that they were in that moment. And it was so awe-inspiring that even priests from the temple, which they were meeting outside the temple, right? They were meeting by the temple. These priests were so blown away by this unity that they couldn't resist it. Because in their custom, which was organized religion that had gone corrupt a long time ago, this was not typical. It was usually all about factions, Sadducees versus Pharisees. It's all about where you're from. If you're a Pharisee from Galilee, you're inferior because you're a country bumpkin. If you're a Pharisee from Jerusalem, you're superior because you went to the best seminary in town, in the country, you know. See, they were used to this division. They were used to this stuff of their religion that separated the righteous from the unrighteous, the clean from the unclean, and, and the immoral from the moral, and on and on it went. They were used to this, and they're witnessing this body of people that even resolves its differences. This body of people who would say, of course the Jewish Christians don't like the Hellenists. We don't like the Hellenists either. But that's not what happened. Instead, there was unity. You don't want to miss the fact that the names listed for the seven people that were selected were all Greek names. Now, we don't know for sure that they were Hellenists, but it's a pretty good bet they spoke Greek. So how did the people resolve the problem? They saw the failure to communicate, and they fixed it. What is the solution to the problem that led to conflict? Clear communication. What do we need to know in order to avoid conflict in the life of the body of Christ here at Shiloh? Clear communication. Patient, loving, listening to one another is how we can avoid conflict that leads to separation. How do you know Christ is at work in this story we just read? Because there was unity as a result of how they resolved their conflict. How do you know Satan's involved in the situation? Because disunity is the result. When you examine the life of this church as you have known it, because I know that present are many who have experienced this church for years, when you think back on the various conflicts that have caused separation and disunity in the life of this church, how does your remembrance of that story stack up against what we've just talked about? This would be a good topic of discussion in your small groups. What, you say you're not in a small group? Why not make one today? I want you to know that I think small groups are a very good expression of classic Christianity. And I hope that if you're not part of a group of people who are gathering to take these things a little further in your private discussion, you might consider forming one. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you need my help or the help of the staff, we'd be glad to provide you with assistance. For now, let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word and thank you for blessing us with your presence in our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to see each other clearly with eyes of compassion, to hear each other completely with loving ears and open minds. Let us care more about the unity that you create 
by making us one body than we do about our tastes and our comforts so that we might be an awe-inspiring fellowship, just like that one there at Jerusalem, Lord. And if it happens, we'll give you all the glory and praise for your namesake. Amen.